Good morning. In today's headlines, an explosion-like sound was heard across the Washington, D.C. area yesterday. Officials say it was the sound of fighter jets breaking the sound barrier. Find out why the jets were scrambled. GOP presidential candidates descend on Iowa. Presidential hopefuls such as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator Tim Scott, and conservative talk show host Larry Elder made their cases to voters. An investigation is underway into the deadly crash in India. Hundreds were killed and nearly a thousand were injured. And Tiananmen Square Massacre commemorations are held worldwide. We share the scenes and some, some thoughts from attendees. The debt ceiling deal brings an end to the student loan payment pause. We have the details. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. Happy Monday, everyone. Today is June 5th. Yes, and it's just so sad what happened to those pro-democracy protesters in China in 1989. That's right, and the Chinese regime tightened access to Tiananmen Square on the anniversary. Yeah, and now with the arrest of the people in Hong Kong commemorating it, it's just more evidence their freedom of speech is just eroding more into that Chinese-controlled territory. That's right, but while the world remembers the Tiananmen Square massacre, we want to turn your attention right now to an incident near the U.S. Capitol. U.S. officials scrambled F-16 fighter jets yesterday. That was to chase down a small plane that violated airspace in the Washington, D.C. area. Authorities say the aircraft later crashed into the mountains of Virginia. The errant plane was a Cessna citation. The pilot was unresponsive. Many concerned residents called 911 to report a loud explosion. That was from the sonic boom caused by the jets flying at supersonic speeds. People expressed alarm about the noise across social media from northern Virginia to Maryland. Some near Capitol Hill said it shook their homes. A home security camera in northern Springfield, Virginia captured the noise. Here's that footage. The Cessna was bound for New York from Tennessee. The F-16 pilots attempted to engage the pilot by firing flares, but were unsuccessful. First responders found the wreckage on foot last night. Four people, including the pilot, were on board. Search and rescue crews found no survivors at the wreckage. Investigators will arrive on the scene today to document the crash site. Republican presidential hopefuls attended a roast and ride event in Iowa on Saturday. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the candidates and the cases they made to voters. The event was organized by U.S. Senator Joni Ernst from Iowa. Following a ride out with a large group of bikers, candidates took their turn speaking to voters against a rural backdrop of hay bales and tractors. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis appeared with his wife Casey and their three young children. The GOP candidate chatted with voters, gave out autographs, and signed the Bible of a man who thanked him for standing up to Disney. So as president, I will be an energetic executive. I will go on offense. I will lean into all the issues that matter. Candidate Nikki Haley decried the lack of transparency in U.S. classrooms and touched on a controversial issue in athletics. The idea that we have biological boys playing in girls' sports is the biggest women's issue of our time, and we should be fighting that every day. Senator Tim Scott says America faces a dire threat. It is this culture of grievance and the drug of victimhood that is spreading like a cancer across this nation. According to Scott, America is not a land of oppression, but a land of opportunity. 
Entrepreneur and candidate Vivek Ramaswamy says there is a black hole in people that used to be filled by faith, patriotism, hard work, and family. According to Ramaswamy, poison is filling that void. It almost doesn't matter what the poison is. Wokeism, transgenderism, climatism, covidism, globalism. These are symptoms of a deeper void of purpose. Conservative talk show host Larry Elder said this is his time. I have a patriotic, a religious, and a moral obligation to do what I can for a country that's been so good to my family. Meanwhile, former U.S. Vice President Mike Pence promised to officially declare his candidacy in Iowa later in the week. We gave America a new beginning for life, and we can do it all again. GOP frontrunner former President Donald Trump was notably absent. Others in attendance included former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson and Michigan businessman Perry Johnson. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Iowa is the first state to cast a vote in the nominating process for presidential candidates, so it is famed for having an outsized influence on the contest for the White House. Current polls have former President Donald Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in first and second place, with former Vice President Mike Pence and former United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley tied for third. People around the world gathered yesterday to mark the 34th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square Massacre. Over 30 people were arrested in Hong Kong for commemorating the June 4th protests. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the weekend vigils and thoughts from attendees. A candlelight vigil was held in Washington, D.C. to remember those killed and injured in the 1989 Tiananmen Square Massacre. We at the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation will continue to call for justice and accountability for the victims of the Tiananmen Square Massacre. Members of the Uyghur, Tibetan, and Hong Kong communities condemned the ongoing brutal crimes of the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. I hope that starting from this year, we also make this a day of reflection, of action. At a vigil in London Sunday, many Chinese said there are more people from mainland China participating this year. One tourist from mainland China said it was the zero COVID lockdowns that pushed him to attend. He thinks more young mainlanders, once skeptical of the situations in Taiwan and Hong Kong, are now changing their minds. Not only in England, but in Paris, but in Berlin, but in, uh, in America and in overseas. The young people are feeling about that. I think it's a trend. Dozens of demonstrators rallied in Sydney and chanted slogans like Free Hong Kong and Free Tibet. Some held yellow umbrellas and placards in remembrance. Freedom fighters in China still carry on the fight to achieve the hope and aspiration for freedom and democracy in China. Hundreds of people gathered at a memorial in Taipei's Liberty Square in Taiwan. The candlelight vigil was adorned with flowers and a pillar of shame statue. One attendee said it's important to show strong determination and protect Taiwan's values, regardless of the threat of war. We are the group of people who will protect freedom. We cherish this value. We need to let the enemy know that we will not exchange freedom for security or other benefit. In Hong Kong, the location for the annual Tiananmen Vigil was replaced with a pro-China food fair this year. At least 30 people were arrested for their involvement in the commemorations, including 67-year-old prominent democracy activist Alexandra Wong, also known as Grandma Wong. 
Hong Kong deployed around 6,000 police officers, including riot and anti-terrorism units, to suppress any attempted demonstrations. In mainland China, any mention of the Tiananmen Square massacre is heavily censored and prohibited by the CCP. The exact number of those killed in the 1989 Tiananmen Square student protests is unknown. Declassified documents from an unnamed whistleblower in 2017 indicated at least 10,000 were killed. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And a senior U.S. diplomat visited China for talks on the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre. He'll be raising human rights concerns with officials today and advocating for fundamental freedoms in China. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken acknowledged in a statement over the weekend that the U.S. would be observing the 34th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre. Blinken condemned the Chinese regime for sending tanks to brutally repress peaceful pro-democracy protesters that day and said victims inspiring bravery will not be forgotten. A potentially dangerous interaction unfolded in the Taiwan Strait on Saturday. A Chinese ship caught in front of a U.S. destroyer, forcing it to slow down to avoid a collision. U.S. and Canadian navies were conducting a joint exercise in the strait, which separates the island of Taiwan and China. The U.S. military called the CCP's latest aggression unsafe. The U.S. Indo-Pacific Command says China's actions violated the maritime rules of the road for international waters. And coming up, increasingly more people are suffering from depression. Is there something we can do to help lift ourselves out of it or just to improve our mood? A psychiatrist gives us some advice. And a boy abandoned as a baby becomes a prodigy in his new life and goes on to win a prestigious international award. Stay tuned for that story in just a minute. Welcome back. Here are some headlines from around the world. An official investigation is underway into the cause of the deadly train crash in eastern India. At least 275 people died and close to 1,000 were injured after two passenger trains collided with a freight train on Friday. Officials say the tragic accident was caused by an electronic signaling system error. A convicted murderer believed to be responsible for the 2005 disappearance of Natalie Holloway will be extradited to the U.S. soon. Joran van der Sloot was serving a prison sentence in Peru for killing a Peruvian student in 2010. He will face, face extortion and fraud charges in the U.S. stemming from the 2005 disappearance and presumed murder of the then 18-year-old. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has issued a new subpoena threat to FBI Director Christopher Wray. Wray faces charges of contempt should he withhold a document alleging a bribery scheme between President Biden and a foreign national. The agency previously refused to provide the document to members of Congress, citing concerns over confidentiality. NBC News moderator Chuck Todd has announced he is stepping down as the host of the network's Sunday show Meet the Press. The announcement came yesterday when Todd said he will leave the show at the end of summer. That's after nearly 10 years. White House correspondent Kristen Welker will replace him. And the student loan payment pause is coming to a screeching halt on a specific date. Before, the end date was kind of hazy, but now as part of the debt ceiling bill, borrowers must resume interest payments 60 days after June 30th. And today's Faye Quarter has tips on what to do. The big student loan payment pause will end on a finalized date. 
Republicans managed to negotiate this into the debt ceiling deal. So now borrowers must resume interest payments 60 days from June the 30th. That would be near the end of August. President Trump started the student loan payment pause because of the COVID pandemic. And it's been extended eight times since then. Biden wanted to extend it until late August, or 60 days after the Supreme Court made a decision on his student loan relief plan, whichever happened first. Now that this debt ceiling deal is over, what it does is it puts kind of an official end on the forbearance piece. Nick McLaverty is the CEO of Highway Benefits. His firm works with employers to offer student loan repayments to their employees as tax-free benefits. He says this deadline gives borrowers time to prepare. Here are some tips on paying back student loans. First step would probably be kind of evaluate your financial position. You know, see if you're able to look at refinancing options for a different rate. Um, if you can get lower than kind of the federal rate, then that would be a good first step, at least seeing your options. Um, additionally, if, if, you, if you can afford to, Maybe start paying off some of your loans now. This will help chip away at the principal. McLaverty says the deal seems like a compromise between Republicans and Democrats. It doesn't address the issue of student loan forgiveness. Bay Quarter, NTD News. Depression is becoming more of a problem. The Surgeon General calls it an epidemic. So is there anything we can do to help ourselves? I asked a psychiatrist about that and also how to identify it. How do you think we can differentiate between normal sadness or grief and actual clinical depression? How do we know? Well, that's a very good question because emotion is normal. So we should be able to feel sad. We should be able to feel angry. We should be able to feel fear or worried or definitely joy. So this is a normal emotion that help us to appreciate what's going on in our life so we can protect ourselves. And uh, however, when the negative emotion like sadness or anger or depression become debilitating, meaning affecting your normal life and relationship and productivities, and also physical functions like sleep and uh, appetite and so on and so forth, and then it become a disorder. If it lasts more than two weeks or longer, and it become a uh, clinical depression or major depressive disorder. And the people also have a negative thoughts, such as feeling shame, the guilty, and also have a question about the meaning of life and sometimes does not feel living is, um, is purposeful and even having a suicidal thoughts. So that's become serious. You must seeking professional help. Yeah, I was going to go into that as well, but I mean, is it also possible then to help yourself out of depression or is it generally the rule of thumb to just go and find help? They should examine their lifestyle first, see whether or not they have been eating healthy and whether they have had enough sleep or whether or not they have consumed too much alcohol or other um, recreational substance like marijuana and so on and so forth, um, whether or not they have enough exposure to the sunlight and um, um, what else, exercise, of course. Can you go in a little bit more detail in, for example, how does what we eat impact our mental health? Well, you know, the brain is a biochemical factories. They're having 
um, they need a nutrients to function. They need um, vitamins, minerals, proteins, amino the fatty acids, and um, to function. So therefore, a healthy diet is critical. And basically, we provide the the um, <clears throat> the fuels and the nutrients and the blood to the brain to function. So if we don't eat healthy, uh, definitely that's going to affect the our brain, which regulates our mood, our cognitions, and even our regulations of heart rates, bowel movements, so on and so forth. Um, so that's critical to me. And diet is a number one by chemical therapies for depression. Very good points today and really important to know also. Thank you so much, Dr. Jing Duanyang. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Coming up, if you prefer to exercise alone, we might have the answer for you. Find out about gym pods that are popping up in Chicago. That's th there's that and more after the break. Good to have you back. In our next segment, a boy abandoned as a baby ends up thriving nearly 8,000 miles away from the country where he was born in. Here's his story. Yarn over, pull it through. 15-year-old Jonah Larson taught himself how to crochet when he was just five. One day his aunt gave him some leftover craft supplies when cleaning out a crafts room. And in the bag, I found a shiny metal crochet hook and some blue and green yarn. So I brought the hook and the yarn to my mom and asked her how I could use them. And then we found a dishcloth tutorial on YouTube. And in approximately an hour, I had crocheted my first project. And I still have that blue and green striped dishcloth today. Jonah says he kept getting better and better until he was making cardigans, scarves, blankets, and baskets. Jonah made his favorite piece during one of the brutal winters in Wisconsin where he lives. Each day he made a few crochet flowers. And I made them in all different colors. And by the end of the winter, I had amassed 800, 900, even 1,000 crocheted flowers. And then I took the step to sew every single flower together and make the most beautiful and vibrant blanket. Jonah's beginnings weren't easy. I was originally born in Ethiopia. Um, I was abandoned by my mother and left under a banana tree. Um, and through a series of events of me being found by a woman who was going to get water um, from the river or whatever local water source they had. A woman found him crying, wrapped in a banana leaf, and took him to the local orphanage. He was eventually adopted by his American parents when he was around five or six months old. Now Jonah is giving back to Ethiopia through his organization, Jonah's Hands, in collaboration with his mom, some celebrity friends, and thousands of people around the world. So what we did is we built a library, which has cement floors. It's the best construction stuff that they have in that area. It has over 2,000 books. And then on top of that, we added a fully equipped science lab, which has microscopes, lab coats, goggles, distilled water machines, and all those things that they need. Thank you, Joa. We love you, our library. We love you. Jonah's dream is to put his talented hands to use by becoming a surgeon one day. And I was actually invited a couple years back. 
by the University of Madison, Wisconsin surgeons there, who are some of the best surgeons in the world. <clears throat> and I actually practiced um, simulation surgery on a chicken microsurgery with them as well. And in return, I taught them how to crochet, and they taught me all sorts of stuff, and I'm just so grateful for that. Jonah was awarded the 2023 William R. Sims Award for Outstanding Youth in Philanthropy. He believes that if someone wants to do something, the path how to get there will appear before them. You just gotta roll up your sleeves and get started. Crochet away, friends. Wow, what a tale. Such beautiful things that he made. And I wonder if his birth mom ever found out what came of her son. What a you, special young man. Well, yeah, he sure is. And you know, those hats and blankets are just so amazing. And his efforts in Ethiopia are really touching. Oh yeah, have you ever made something like that? Uh, well, you know, actually, I, uh, I made a sock out of a pegboard once, but anyway, going to Chicago, nearly one in three adults in the U.S. are overweight, but many fear going to the gym. That's because they feel intimidated working out near someone extremely fit. A home gym might be a better solution, but maybe there's another way. Entity's Angela Moy has the story. I get to work out today in peace and quiet because I have this whole gym all to myself. This is the gym pot in downtown Chicago. It's small but well-equipped in private without staff and other users. The concept of the private gym came from the gym pot's founder, Damien Chow, in Singapore. So the gym pot is basically a unmanned container gym which was started in 2018, hopefully to help shy improvers like me who have a comfortable space. Since then, the gym pot has expanded to other spaces. We changed from the shipping container to the fabricator pot. Right? We can actually make it much bigger, but we deliberately keep it in such a small space so that it's enough for the equipment and only enough up to keep the 3D bigger. The gym pod allows users to bring a couple of friends or private fitness trainers to train clients. The gyms are open 24 7. As the gym pot gained popularity in Singapore with more than 50 locations, it expanded to the U.S. in February with two pods in Chicago. Rajma Bulyan, one of the early members in Chicago, says she tried other gyms, but they didn't work for her. I felt kind of very overwhelmed when I went there, all the fit people working out, and I was like, okay, I'm running behind. Since Buyan discovered the gym pot in her apartment building a few months ago, she has been using the gym. The gym pot offers pay-per-use and subscription options. Also, booking and payment are all done with the mobile app. Their app is very user-friendly, and I'm actually a monthly subscriber, so I get actually I get to advance a book uh, 30 days in advance. But if you're not a subscriber, that's not a problem as well. You can I think you can book like seven days in advance. The gym pod is free of human interaction, but it provides amenities to enhance user experience. Users can play their favorite music through a Bluetooth speaker, adjust room temperature, and accelerate warm-up and recovery with accessories. After workout, you get to use this weight roller to stretch your muscles and improve blood circulation. Buyan says she feels much more comfortable using the gym pod. Since I started coming here, I've been very consistent and I feel really healthy and I feel, I mean, I have the urge to come in every day. And I think uh, they have all the equipments that I need. The gym pod could be just the answer to a healthier lifestyle for those struggling with gym anxiety. Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. 
And the 2023 Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series kicked off in Boston on Saturday. Konstantin Popovici from Romania claimed victory in the men's event, and Australia's Rhiannon Iflint took the women's title. In second place for women was Canadian Mar Molly Carlson, and second place in the men's event went to Carlos Jimeno from Spain. Popovici started slow but finished with around 490 points, more than 50 points ahead of Jimeno's roughly 440. Iflint opened in defense of her last year's series title with a solid win after totaling around 370 points, nearly 25 points ahead of runner-up Molly Carson. The mood was bright despite the cool and cloudy weather. The enthusiastic crowd and competitors cheered each other on before celebrating a champagne victory after the event. Wow, what a thrill. Yeah, adrenaline rush, right? Would you do that? Oh, I don't know, but I am pretty good at diving. Ah, so maybe we could make a segment. <sighs> I do the swan dive. Oh, okay, well, <laughs> maybe not then. <laughs> Just <laughs> All right, we're going to end it here. Thank you, everyone, for watching and tuning in today. You can write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. That's it for today. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.